0: Good to see you all tonight. Good to hear Luke's friends going by during the worship time. Yeah, this is, uh, I can't see you guys too well, but hopefully you can see me. This is great, uh, PCF under the lights. Uh, That's fun. Um, And uh, let me add my voice to say welcome. Really glad that you're here. My name, uh, as Josh said, is Bill, Bill Boyce. Um, Yes, I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. I'm uh, (laughs) a member member of the great uh, Princeton class of 1979, and uh, married to Debbie, uh, also a class of 79, and uh, just really delighted to be part of the PCF team, and eager to meet you if I haven't had that privilege already. If you are here for the first time... Uh, each week when we gather, we do spend some time uh, looking at the Word of God, the Bible, usually a passage from the Bible. And last week, uh, Chris Saladay got us uh, started in a new series uh, from one of the shorter books of the New Testament. It's actually a letter or an epistle, and that's First John. And it's written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of John. So we're going to go back to that uh, same text tonight, and I want to begin by reading again just the opening four verses of that. So you can listen as I read, or if you have access to Scripture on your phone, uh, you can follow along. Uh, John writes this, "...that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands..." And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I don't need to tell any of you that we are living in a time of really heightened uh, skepticism and that's true both on the sort of the meta level, you know, is anything really true with a capital T, uh, but it's also true down on the, on the ground level. There's a lot being written about the fact that in, in our society, people are increasingly skeptical of the government. They're skeptical of the media, uh, of science, skeptical of the church. And some would say that all of these institutions are simply, you know, competing instruments uh, of control and maybe even agents of oppression. There is a crisis of trust. And in the midst of this, you and I are also bombarded all of the time by competing voices calling out to believe this, to believe that, to devote yourself to this thing. No, devote yourself to this. And a lot of people wonder, among all these voices, is is anyone telling the truth? Is anyone worthy of my trust? You know, in in our time, many seem to believe that the only voice in the end that you ought to finally listen to is your own. And so you and I must decide which voices are worthy of our trust, which voices will we listen to and follow. Is anyone telling the truth? And I'm not assuming uh, that everyone here tonight identifies as a follower of Jesus. Some of you may not be sure what you think about Christianity, and that's okay. We're, we're very glad you're here, and we hope you'll hang with us. But this is a Christian gathering, right? And so it's appropriate for us to be thinking about the credibility and the truthfulness, the trustworthiness of uh, Christian voices, and particularly of the words of the Bible, because the Bible is for Christians one of our foundational sources. And so 1 John is relevant to us tonight, because the people that John originally wrote this letter to were experiencing their own crisis of trust because of competing and contradictory voices that were threatening to undermine their faith. And so John writes to them as a pastor, as as an elder, as a father, and he's writing to this early group of Christians in a crisis, we might call it a crisis of faith, and he wants to encourage them and assure them of what they have believed. His hope is that they will continue to have a strong, confident faith in Jesus Christ, a faith that is rooted and grounded in God's love for them, and that this assured faith will then move them uh, outward to love others as God has loved them. And so what John is affirming powerfully to be true, is that life, real life, uh, what he calls eternal life, life in, in connection with what is eternal, that real life is to be found not in ourselves, but in a person, not in a set of ideas or in a philosophy, but in a real, unique, physical, historical person, a person who can be known a person who has loved us beyond all imagining, a person who is worthy of our complete trust. And that person believes John is Jesus Christ. Now, that opening statement of his letter that I read to you, and Chris read it to us last week as well, it's kind of a complicated uh, sentence. It's not really even a sentence as we would think of that. And, And as I was trying to to really grasp what John is saying, I decided I would try to rewrite it. And, and so here's my paraphrase of how John begins his letter. He says, We have known and experienced firsthand a real, an embodied person. And we are convinced that this person is nothing less and none other than life itself one who is pre existent, one who is from the beginning eternal, co-equal with God, the Father, and one who became a human being. He was made flesh. He was made manifest. Yes, that is amazing, but it's true. We heard him with our own ears. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our hands. We were eyewitnesses of, of what he did and what he said and of what happened to him. All of this really happened, and the implications are astonishing. We must tell you about it, remind you about it, because knowing this person has changed our lives, and we want you to experience the same joy in knowing him that we do, and that's why we proclaim to you Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who is life, who came in the flesh in order to open the way for us to share in the life of God that he brings us, in order that we might have joyous fellowship with God and with one another. You see what John is doing? He, he, is, he is trying to encourage them profoundly to assure and strengthen them in their faith based on his own testimony. And I'm just going to comment briefly on on three aspects of this uh, for us tonight. And the first of those is that when it comes to faith, the content of what you believe matters. The second is this, that we have good reason to believe the content of the gospel. And the third, if we do believe then we also, as John did, have life to share. What we believe, John says, matters. And particularly, you read his whole letter. You will see that very clearly. The gospel message, the Christian gospel, the good news, has a content. And you can't just go changing that content willy-nilly without consequences, In this letter, John is contending that the content of the Christian message matters. And we see this over and over again in the writings of the New Testament. It matters what we believe and what we teach and tell others. And this is so important because Christian faith is grounded in history. It's, it's grounded in a series of historical events. Chris talked last week about the incarnation. As amazing it is, as it is that, that God the Son became a human being, that he lived upon the earth, that he taught, that he preached, that he did signs and wonders and miracles, that he was ultimately arrested tried and crucified that he died on a cross that he was buried that he rose again from the dead these are historical events but they're also events that have a profound we might say theological saving significance and so to put it another way if these events did not really happen then the gospel message itself is is not based on, on real events. It's only a myth, and the whole thing falls apart. The crisis that the people John is writing to, these early Christians, the crisis they faced was caused by some people who had apparently been part of their company, but who had then decided to reject this message. And now they've departed from the church. John refers to them in strong language. He calls them deceivers. Why? Because they reject this foundational idea that Jesus really is God in human form. And so, these early uh, Christians have to consider a question like this: Well, who should we believe? Do we believe John and 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 the apostles, or do we believe these other people who reject what they're saying? You know, different people have different different ideas and opinions about Jesus? Who's right? Who can say? Well, that sounds like a question you might be discussing with your friends in the dining hall. Is Christian faith, faith in Jesus as the Son of God, as Lord and Savior, is that faith warranted? And the apostles, the authors of the books of the New Testament, they respond in the strongest of terms Yes, yes, yes. They understand perfectly well that that if Jesus was not who he claimed to be, if he himself was a deceiver or or deranged, or if, if he in fact did not rise again from the dead, then the things that Jesus promised, everything he promised to those who would believe in him, those things are false and they are empty. But, John and and the other apostles, the writers of Scripture, are utterly convinced, and that is why John has such strong words. That's why he calls them deceivers. Why he says they are false prophets. He says they are anti-Christ, anti Christ, uh, anti Jesus. Strong words for those who would deny the incarnation, that Jesus has come in bodily form, strong words for those who deny that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and for those who are teaching uh, what John believes to be false to these early Christians. Many people today think we can just pick and choose what we believe according to what suits us, what works for me, right? And sure, you can do that. But the Christian message is not like that. The content of what we believe matters. It's an account of what happened and, and of what, what happened means. Jesus appeared. John says we saw him. He spoke. We heard him. And what he had to say was astonishing. And what he did was nothing short of life giving. And so John is assuring them and urging them, don't depart from the content of the gospel. And then he strengthens this with some reasons why. And we're just going to think briefly about one of those tonight. But, you know, I I want to pause here and and say that like like them, I've also had my moments of crisis of faith. I became a Christian when I was in high school. But, you know, things happen that shake us deeply, shake us to the core. And sometimes in the midst of those things that happen to us, we begin to ask all over again whether this gospel is true. And I've been there. I've been there more than once. And yet every time as I have wrestled personally with those kinds of questions in those moments of faith crisis, I always ultimately have come back to a place of confidence and of assurance that this message about Jesus, about what God has done, that this message is true, that this message is worthy of my trust. As one of the disciples said to Jesus, where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And what has helped me, what has brought me through those crises of faith has happened in part because of teachings just like this passage that we're looking at tonight in 1 John. And why do I say that? It's because John is saying to them, not only does the content matter, but you have a good reason to believe that this message is true. He wants to assure his readers, both his ancient readers and us tonight, contemporary readers, that his testimony about Jesus is reliable, that it's trustworthy. Why? Because it is the testimony of an eyewitness. And of course, John's not the only one. He is just one among many. But he is someone who writes to them who was there when it happened, He was someone who saw it with his own eyes. He heard Jesus speak with his own ears. He touched him with his hands. He spent time with him. He had meals with him. He saw his signs and wonders. He listens to his teaching. He watched him die. He saw him buried in a tomb. And then he saw him alive and risen from the dead. The Anglican... uh, Pastor, scholar, teacher, John Stott, he wrote this. He says, "John could not have conveyed his message more forcefully. He is vouching for his message from his own personal experience. He's not following cunningly devised fables, but a historical revelation verified by the three highest of, of, of a person's senses: his hearing, his sight, his touch. Christian faith is not believing something you know isn't true. It's not irrational. It is not unreasonable. It is a faith that is based on credible eyewitness testimony of those who were there when these things happened. Not people who were removed from these things for centuries, but people who were alive when it happened. And we have a record of what they saw and heard and touched and and for John just one aspect of this you know think of think of his prologue what, what we what we've seen what we've heard with our ears one of the things convinced that convinced him is Jesus own words John think about it was with Jesus when he made such audacious statements about his own identity you know when Jesus said the father sent me Well, maybe God could send prophets and stuff. Maybe that's not so audacious. But ultimately, Jesus says, the Father and I are one. And that was such a bold statement that the people who were in the audience when he said that thought he was a blasphemer and they picked up stones to kill him. John was present when Jesus explained to people why he had come. He says, I've come that you might have life. I'm the one who brings life and abundantly. I've come to seek and to save the lost. I've come to give my life to rescue many. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the way and the truth and the life. Such amazing statements for any human being to make. John was present to hear Jesus Give a a new ethic for how we ought to live That referenced himself as the ultimate model When he said we ought to love one another How? As I have loved you John was listening when Jesus explained That he was going to be arrested, betrayed, killed John was listening when Jesus predicted That he was going to be raised from the dead and so it's in the words of Jesus now, that, that the words that John heard with his own ears, that he recognized, that he believed that that voice speaking, the voice of Jesus, was the very voice of the Son of God. And that the words that Jesus spoke were the very words of life. John's not telling them, and I, I'm probably not telling you anything you don't already know most of what john tells them is an echo of jesus own words but he's reminding them they have a good reason to believe in jesus as the son of god as one who is worthy of our worship and of our of our fealty why is why because he and others were eyewitnesses of jesus and so he's saying don't be swayed by those who are rejecting this. They weren't there the way I was. And so finally. This message. If you are convinced. As I am. That it's true. This message promises. Life. Not merely physical life. What, what John refers to as eternal life. He talks about Jesus. Is eternal life. This this message actually promises. Relationship. With the eternal God. And that's why this message matters so profoundly. John is writing as an individual who has had an experience that has utterly and completely changed his life. And he's excited about it. He wants to tell other people about it. He wants to share it with others because it is so astonishing. He wants to assure others that I'm not crazy. This really happened. This is true. I have a relationship. I have fellowship with God because I have a relationship, he says, with Jesus Christ, who is God himself. For you, for me tonight, you know, if you're convinced that what John is saying about Jesus is true, If you're convinced tonight that life is to be found in Jesus, if you yourself have experienced a measure of that life, then it's only natural, right, that you would also want to tell others about it. It's natural for us to praise uh, things uh, that we experience that we find to be beautiful or glorious or uh, bring great pleasure, bring great joy. John has experienced that, and he wants to tell other people. Have you experienced that? It's natural for us to also, if we have found life in Christ, if we have experienced this joy of knowing and following Jesus, that we would want to share that with others. And I hope that's true for, for many, if not everyone here tonight. But, you know, some maybe are not convinced yet. And so you're not, you're not, certainly not convinced enough to think that I'm ready to go out and share and to proclaim this message with others. And my hope and my prayer is, is that if you're not yet persuaded, that you will be. And, and I hope you'll hang with us, keep coming back, that you'll come and see. Because I believe that if you seek, you, you will find. And if you come and see, you will discover a person who is the word of life. So here we have, in our age of skepticism and loss of trust, a message that is grounded in history, that is supported by eyewitness testimony, grounded in personal experience. And so it's a message that we, you and I, can receive and believe with confidence to be true And being convicted and convinced that it's true, it's a message that can assure us that in Christ we have eternal life. And thus it's a message that can change our hearts to turn us outward in love, to share and proclaim and testify ourselves to what we have found in Christ. Amen. Let me just close quickly in prayer. Father, thank you for your servant John and for his powerful eyewitness testimony of what he saw, what he heard, what he tasted, what he touched, or that he was there when it happened. Utterly convinced and persuaded that it is true and therefore courageous and bold in sharing this wonderful news with others. May it be so of us. May it be so of us. In Christ's name. Amen.